The Alchemical Tech Revolution is sponsored by Anchor. Anchor by Spotify. That's anchor.fm. Hi folks, this is Wayne McCroy, host of the Alchemical Tech Revolution podcast. I'm here to tell you tonight about Anchor. Anchor is one of the best podcast distribution apps out there. Uh, They offer various ways to create, distribute, and monetize your podcast all for free, and they have some of the best built-in uploading, recording, and editing tools available in the industry. From start to finish, they can help you to set up your podcast. So if you are interested in starting a podcast, check out anchor.fm. Or if you are already a podcaster and you're looking for distribution solutions for your podcast, check out anchor.fm. Come with me.
You're listening to the Alchemical Tech Revolution, and I am your host, Wayne McRoy. Lesson 2, The Law of Opposites. The ten pairs of opposites of Pythagoras were, first, right and left, second, even and odd, third, hot and cold, fourth, hard and soft, fifth, light and darkness, sixth, male and female, seventh, good and evil, eighth, stationary and movable, ninth, square and oblong, and tenth, wet and dry. Within these ten pairs of opposites is contained the entire law of opposites in all of its variations. As was stated in the first lesson, the ultimate physical atoms of ether by combination become the electrons of electricity and magnetism according to the rate of vibration with which they move, magnetism being one rate lower in the vibratory scale than electricity. Everything in the material world is merely the result of the combination of these two principles. And I'm going to pause there, folks. This is a very important uh, thought to keep in mind. Uh, So that being the case... Uh, you know, if you keep that in mind, you eventually uh, garner a better understanding of how the world around us works, because I find that to be true. Uh, you know, the, the world operates on a system of polarity between electricity and magnetism. It's the, the you know, dielectric current is, is how things run. And when you actually look at the, uh, the physical models of how magnetism operates in this way, Uh, you could see that this forms the conjugate geometry of how the universe works and that kind of thing. So it's it's an important aspect to keep in mind. Uh, But let's not get too hung up on that. We've got a lot of material to cover here, so I'll move along. Not only this, but the vital and mental atoms are also differentiated in some way into two forces analogous to electricity and magnetism. In fact, On all the planes of nature, we find this twofold force manifesting itself and being the law and cause of all activity. The electric is the masculine principle and the magnetic the feminine principle of nature. In man, the brain is sexed, the left hemisphere being the seat of the electrical force and the right hemisphere the seat of the magnetic force. This is true of all the various principles in man. The nerves from the left hemisphere of the brain pass over to the right side of the body, thus making a cross as they pass from the brain to the body. Thus it is that while the left side of the brain is the electrical center, it governs the right side of the body. Likewise, the right side of the brain, the magnetic center, governs the left side of the body. It is because of a realization of this principle that artists, when painting a portrait to represent strength, dignity, grandeur, courage, nobility, and force, all masculine attributes, paint the right side of the face. Well, if they wish to represent beauty, ideality, purity, gentleness, meekness, and affection, all feminine attributes, they paint the left side of the face, and this is true although they know nothing of the great sexual law. I'm going to pause there. A lot of interesting ideas, uh, you know, are really bound up uh, right there in, in that last paragraph. Think about that. I mean, this is something that uh, holds true regardless of whether you realize it or not. Uh, and, and that's what this is pointing out. Uh, if you look at uh, the way artists work, uh, they're, they're kind of more uh, what you would call left-brained, I guess, and, uh, you know, as compared to people that are kind of more staunch or scientific in, you know, their viewpoints or logical, per se, that they would be more right-brained. So you could see uh, this distinction and how it's, you know, uh, given these these masculine and feminine attributes uh, with each side of the brain. And this is this holds true in everybody. Uh, so, I mean, this, this is, you know, some pretty basic universal stuff that I think... Uh, if we understand these premises, we could have a better realization of how things actually work in this world. So, anyway, let's let's continue on. The outward effects of this law are so prominent that they may be easily noted by anyone. For the same reason, the man walks on the right, the woman on the left, thus recognizing the true position as the electrical and magnetic personality. 
Even the sex organs of the man are largely on the right side of the body. Likewise, those of the female are largely on the left side. Kind of pause there. I don't know if that's actually physiologically been demonstrated or not, but, you know, let's, let's continue on with the reading and see. <clears throat> the electrical force goes down the right arm and out through the right hand, making it the channel through which the electrical force escapes. The magnetic force goes down through the left arm and out through the left hand, making that the channel through which the magnetic force escapes. In healing, electricity passes through the right hand and magnetism through the left hand. For this reason, the right hand has become emblematic of the electrical force of nature and the left hand of the magnetic force of nature. By right and left is therefore meant the electrical and magnetic forces of the nature out of which all things in the material world are produced. And as electricity and magnetism are merely different rates of vibration, it follows that right and left are also only different rates of vibration. And I'm going to pause there, folks. This comes down to the idea of frequency and vibration once again. Uh, you could see these different cymatic concepts bound up in this, and even Nikola Tesla advised, if you want to better understand how the universe works, think in terms of frequency and vibration. And uh, that holds true with these hermetic principles here. And uh, many of these things have been tested through time, and they, they've been uh, found to be tried and true. Although, in our modern era, we're not taught about these things by and large. Uh, these are some of the secrets held by the mystery schools and the, the secret societies of today. Uh, many of these different ideas. So, we, we've been taught to really think of these things as being kind of archaic and not really all that useful or accurate as descriptors of our world. But uh, the case is, uh, many of these things hold true still, even today. I mean, it's, it's a different way of thinking about things. And you kind of have to adjust uh, your thinking patterns to, uh, you know, see things this way. But once you do, things start to make a whole lot more sense than, uh, you know, with the, the hyper-material description we've been given of everything. So, you know, that being the case, let's move on with the reading. Next section here says, Even and Odd. Even represents those conditions where the electrical and magnetic forces are evenly balanced where the equilibrium is perfectly maintained, while on the other hand, odd represents those conditions where one of the above principles greatly predominates over the other, so as to make the object, substance, or principle, as the case may be, prominently and distinctly electrical or magnetic. Even also represents the state where the keynote is weak, and as a result, the molecules are held together in loose affinity, while odd represents the state where the keynote is strong, so that the molecules are bound together in close affinity. When anything is even, the affinity is easily destroyed, and it is easily separated into its component molecules, atoms, electrons, etc. When it is odd, the affinity is with difficulty destroyed, and it is therefore difficult to separate into its component molecules, atoms, electrons, etc. As the electrical and magnetic forces are merely matters of vibration, the proportion of each which may be present is merely a question of the proportion of the two rates of vibration. And as the affinity and the keynote are alike matters of vibration, deriving their strength and power from the intensity of the vibration, the whole matter is merely a question of vibration. Even and odd, therefore, represent merely rates of vibration and different states of combination in the electrical and magnetic forces. And then we're going to pause there for a moment. There's a lot of key ideas uh, written right into this here, folks. Um, the thing is, if we're looking at even numbers, this is where things are in balance. And when we see odd numbers thrown about, this is where there's an imbalance somewhere and... Uh, one of these forces has predilection over the other. And uh, that being the case, also, uh, this has an effect on the keynote, as it says here. Uh, the keynote, in an in even-numbered type situation, uh, where there's balance, is easily broken. Okay, Whereas the keynote of an odd is not easily broken. So we could see why they always bind up uh, many of these... 
uh, say, rituals and performances and things they do with the odd numbers, and some especially powerful odd numbers, like, say, the number 9 and the number 11. So that being the case, this is why they, they tend to avoid uh, in what I would call the, the broken feedback loop system, where we skip over number 10 and go right from 9 to 11. Uh, I would call that the reason that they do that is the perfection of the number 10, the balance. They, they don't want the balance because they want to maintain the power. So that being the case, you know, in order to maintain the power, uh, they try to skip over uh, where there's a system of balance and that you know then they have that leverage that they could use uh, to maintain their control their grip of control but not to belabor that point too much let's go ahead and move on to the next section here hot and cold john tyndall has shown that heat is merely a mode of motion or in other words molecular vibration when the molecules reach a certain point in the intensity of their vibration they become hot and then the higher their rate of vibration the hotter they become. It therefore appears that heat is merely a certain rate of vibration. The mistake which scientists here make, however, is in denying the reality of cold, calling it merely the absence of heat. Cold is no more the absence of heat than heat is the absence of cold, heat being the result of a certain rate of vibration. Cold is the result of the absence of that rate of vibration. As inertia exists nowhere, this rate of vibration is absent because another rate of vibration is present. Cold is therefore a mode of motion, a rate of vibration, quite as much as heat. All vibrations of electricity are hot. All vibrations of magnetism are cold. The dividing line between heat and cold is, therefore, the point at which electricity becomes magnetism. This is not only true on the physical plane, but also of the vital and mental, the buddhic and spiritual. Wherever we go, we find that the magnetic is cold, and the more magnetic it becomes, the colder it becomes. The electric is hot, and the more electric it becomes, the hotter it becomes. And I'm going to pause right there, folks. This leads back to the ideas of fire. Uh, once again, fire and water, the elemental core ideas that we discussed, you know, in the last section of this book. Um, and once again, we see how uh, this whole rate of vibration thing holds to be true, too, uh, because it's said that uh, the, the molecules, when they're heated up by, say, like sunlight or something, they move faster, uh, whereas something without uh, heat applied to it the molecules are stagnant and don't move at all so you can see it's equating this to a rate of motion a rate of vibration okay uh, so with that uh, we could see uh, some of the different concepts that are at play here so uh, when you're thinking of something that's magnetic you could know that it's attributionally cold okay there's a lot of different crossover points where you could look at something and know so much more about something than what you would whereas if you see cold well, that's more magnetic than electrical. So winter is more of a magnetic type principle, and summer would be more of an electric type principle. So you could see how these things correlate in different ways. And it says here about the wherever uh, you know the the magnetic becomes colder and the electric becomes hotter, uh, where the point where they meet. Uh, this is where the switchover occurs. So you could see how this could equate to say like an equinox. Or, or something of those na of that nature when you're trying to compare it to like the seasons of the year. Uh, you can see how all these different attributional things tie together. And this is what this chapter here is talking about. Well, I call it a chapter. that He has it listed as lessons uh, in the book. And it's, it's, I guess it's more important to think of them more as lessons. But he's talking about these ten principles that Pythagoras put together as far as these the opposites, the ten groups of opposites, and how everything you know, falls into this category. And some of these opposites actually cross over with each other. But uh, knowing how these opposite pairs work, uh, you could know so much more about a thing just based upon like, these different principles. So you could know that if something's cold, well, that relates to magnetism. That relates to the feminine principle. Um, you know, that relates to the element of water. Uh, you, you could see how all these things attributionally can hold true, and you could know so much more about something than what the surface would show you. 
uh, just by understanding these these principles. But let's let's get back to the reading here. It says heat and cold are therefore merely the effect of the electrical and magnetic forces of nature in their vibratory activity. It must be borne in mind that this remark applies to all the principles of man and nature as well as to the physical. In heating matter, we merely raise the vibration so as to produce the degree of heat which we desire. By so doing, we make it electrical. As water freezes, its vibration is continually lowered, and thus it becomes magnetic. A hot bath is always electrical, while a cold bath is always magnetic. Take a person who is intensely magnetic and give him a hot bath, and it will draw off the superabundance of magnetism, at the same time giving off to his body a quantity of electricity. Will restore the equilibrium, and in this way be most beneficial. I'm going to pause there. This is another interesting idea. Uh, once again, you could relate what we would call dis-ease in the body to some of these different principles. So if somebody is suffering from a dis-ease, uh, that's causing them some kind of symptoms that we could relate to, say, something more magnetic. Well, take a hot bath. It'll help. You know what I'm saying? Uh, it, it, it doesn't hurt to explore these different ideas uh, because, like I said, these are time-tested ideas. And it held true. I mean, these, these go back to some of the smartest people who ever walked the earth. I mean, you're talking about guys like Pythagoras and, you know, uh, different people like that. On the other hand... Let an intensely electrical person take a hot bath, and the bath will draw off a part of his already diminished magnetism, at the same time giving him still more electricity, so as to make the unbalanced condition still worse, and will be, therefore, most injurious, and if persisted in long enough, will cause death, for life is the result of the balancing of the two forces. And I'm going to pause there again, folks. Life exists in the midpoint where electricity and magnetism meet. Uh, we would call this the plane of inertia, and you know, if we were looking at it from a physics standpoint or something like that, this is where life exists at the plane of inertia. Uh, if you're trying to look at it as a geometrical type thing, uh, picture it like the electricity and magnetism uh, analogy here as uh, a toroid, uh, which would be your your donut shape, and uh, like that hourglass shape, which is the the, the counter of uh, you know, the toroid, and uh, it would it would form a perfect sphere, these two shapes together. Well, in the center there, where the inside of the toroid meets the center point of where the, the hourglass shape comes through, that would be your plane of inertia, okay? And this is where life exists and manifests and, uh, you know, begins manifestation and comes into being. So, that being the case, and, and if anybody's interested in exploring these ideas in uh, you know, electricity and magnetism and stuff more. I could recommend, uh, there's a, a book out there, it's available for free, I can't remember the title of it, but uh, the author of it, his name is uh, Ken Wheeler, and he's a really smart guy, and he, he's put a lot of this stuff together, and uh, it really lines up with much of the hermetics and stuff like that, that most people overlook. Uh, so if you have a, an interest in this kind of thing, how electricity and magnetism and stuff work, uh, check out his writing. Uh, he, he does an awful lot of stuff uh, out there. So I, I appreciate his work. Um, he is a really smart guy, and he puts it all together uh, with the actual science chops to, to prove what he's saying. So, uh, you know, a lot of these things kind of correlate directly with that. And that's what this book is talking about here. Uh, so let's get back to the reading. In the same way, let a strongly electrical person take a cold bath, and the magnetic bath will draw off the superabundance of the electrical force, at the same time giving him a part of its magnetism, thus tending to establish equilibrium and will in this way be most beneficial. On the other hand, let an intensely magnetic person take a cold bath, and the magnetic water will draw off some of his already depleted electrical force, and at the same time, give to him still more magnetic force, tending still more to overturn the equilibrium. In this case, it will prove most injurious, and if persisted in long enough, will result in death. This is the reason why hydropaths so often kill their patients. I'm going to pause there. I'm not sure what a hydropath is, folks, but uh, I'm guessing it's somebody that treats different diseases with uh, some kind of bath therapy or something like that. Uh, just, just a guess here. Um, 
Anyway, let's continue with the reading. They will put an electrical patient into a hot bath or a magnetic patient into a cold bath, and thus they are wrecked. Whereas had they placed the electrical patient into a cold bath and the magnetic patient into a hot bath, they would have been, would have been greatly benefited. No person should ever attempt to practice hydro, hydropathy without an understanding of this law of polarity and also the ability to diagnose the electrical and magnetic condition of his patient. This all applies equally to the thermal treatment, to electrotherapeutics, and to animal magnetism. Heat and cold are therefore merely another name for electricity and magnetism. And I'm going to pause there, folks. And he was referring here to animal magnetism. Uh, this is referring back to some of the work of a gentleman named Mesmer. Okay, so when you look at uh, Mesmer, uh, you know, this guy really knew some stuff. And uh, a lot of what he had talked about and stuff has really been taken out of context through the years. And uh, uh, a lot of, uh, you know, the mainstream has really put a negative connotation on some of what he he had discovered and uh, was teaching about and uh, yes I, I would agree hydrotherapy I'm sure is legit uh, so you know that being the case I had never heard that term before up here though uh, what did he call it a hydropath uh, so I guess that's somebody that, that practices this hydrotherapy uh, but uh, a lot of these things are lost especially to our medical practitioners of today uh, they don't think in terms of some of these older ideas, and you know they're they're missing the they're missing the boat on a lot of these different things. Uh, and once again, that all ties back to the aspect of uh, the uh, hyper materialist viewpoint that that has been so heavily pushed in our society today, and that's done for a reason. But let's get back to the reading here. Next section: hard and soft. As all substances are merely a collection of molecules held together by affinity, resulting from the harmony of their vibration, the closer the affinity is, the more intense the vibration. The harder it becomes to displace the molecules owing to the tenacity with which they adhere and cohere one to the other. In this case, the substance becomes hard because of the strength of its keynote, the intensity of its vibration, and the closeness of its affinity. On the other hand, the looser the affinity, the lower the rate of vibration, the more easy it becomes to displace the molecules owing to the laxity with which they adhere and cohere one to another. In this case, the substance becomes soft because of the weakness of its keynote, the lowness of its rate of vibration, and the looseness of its affinity. Hardness and softness are, therefore, different states of affinity growing out of different states of the vibratory activity of the constituent molecules of the substance. Hardness is therefore merely another name for close affinity and softness for loose affinity. The only difference is therefore a difference in vibration. Gonna pause there again folks. So we're looking at different ideas here like the keynote um, and affinity here and he's saying um, it's affinity, vibration, and uh, uh, that kind of stuff going on. Uh, which attributes to this. So we're talking about uh, hardness or softness of an of an item or of an object. And it's all about the different rates of vibration. So uh, that being the case, um, you know, we could see that where this leads. I mean, once again, it, it goes back to some of these older cymatic type ideas. And, you know, electricity and magnetism being the key uh, to a lot of this. But let's, let's continue on here. <clears throat> Next section says, Light and darkness. Light is a mode of motion, a rate of vibration. In the pure ether, all is darkness. It is only when ether is differentiated into electricity and magnetism that light appears. As electricity and magnetism are different rates of vibration from ether, therefore light is a different rate of vibration from darkness. Darkness is not the absence of light any more than light is the absence of darkness. And I'm going to pause there, folks. Our modern science wants to, us to believe that uh, darkness is just the absence of light. This is telling us the opposite here. Okay, Darkness exists without light. And think about that. Think about that concept. 
would light exist without darkness and would darkness exist without light? And uh, it's saying darkness is the normal, uh, I guess, modus operandi of ether. And but until electricity and magnetism are introduced to it and that produces light. So you could kind of see how this could be construed if you look at it from a scientific viewpoint as uh, holography or, or how all things are, are kind of like what we would consider a hologram or something along those lines. Because light is produced because of the manifestation of electricity and magnetism through this ether. Okay, so, uh, you know, th this kind of thing, if you look at it from that perspective, uh, all things are made of like... Uh, some form of light, okay, that exists within this, this world we live in. Uh, once again, you can see uh, rate of vibration and, and that kind of stuff comes front and center uh, when you're thinking in this, this type of way. And this is a lot different, a lot different way of thinking than we've ever been taught uh, in our schooling and stuff like that. So, uh, you know, that kind of thing it's it's a different mode of thinking okay it's thinking in a more philosophical type way than um, the hyper materialist science viewpoint that we have today where they're obsessed with trying to uh, measure and quantify everything and not everything's measurable or quantifiable in that kind of way many things are very subjective and uh you know, the, the objective viewpoint of our, our scientific method and our understanding of the scientific method only takes us so far. Uh, some things you, you need to look at in another way. And science is only one way of looking at things or observing things. And, you know, that being the case, it misses out on a lot of things. But uh, anyway, where did we leave off? I don't want to get hung up too long on that kind of uh, an idea here. So, uh, as electricity and magnetism are different rates of vibration from ether, therefore light is a different rate of vibration from darkness. Darkness is not the absence of light any more than light is the absence of darkness. They are each merely the effect of different rates of vibration. All was darkness before the light vibration was imparted to the ether, causing the light to be born out of the darkness. For out of night was born the day. Remember, light is one rate of vibration and darkness the other. And that is the only absolute and ultimate distinction between the two. Next section, male and female. The male is the embodiment of the electrical principle. His sex organs are the means through which the electrical force is manifested. Not only this, but the entire bodily form is a physical expression of this principle. Not only is the electric principle expressed through the physical body, but the life, the emotional nature, and the mind, as well as the soul and the spirit, show forth the electrical principle in all of their activities. And I'm going to pause there, folks. And these are represented by fire, the element of fire. See? So once again, you could, you could see these different principles at work. You could know these different attributes about something just by knowing a couple of these things. So the masculine force, it's electrical. It relates to the element of fire. Um, it's expressed physically in the physical. Um, it's, it represents the mind, the soul, the spirit, showing forth this electrical principle. Uh, it relates back to a lot of things. Um, and when we're, we look at it as an expression of, say, color, a vibratory rate of color, we're looking at the color red would be the masculine color, and the color blue, the feminine color. So uh, when we see something like that, so when we see the color red, we can know the attributions of it. It's, it's masculine in principle. It's electrical in principle. Uh, all these different ideas, it could relate to the element of fire. Uh, we could know more things about a simple object or item simply by knowing a couple of these principles. And that's an important thing. And it does take a little bit of thinking outside the box and trying to develop this new way of thinking for most of us, uh, which is actually a very old way of thinking, but it's also a more accurate representation of how the world around us really works uh, than what our modern science explains. So... Let's continue on with the reading here. Thus, we can see the fallacy of the assertion that sex is only of the body. All the principles of man are sexed. Not only are the principles of man, but also the seven principles are alike sexed. 
Sex lies at the very foundation of the constitution of matter. Not only is it present in all form, but also in the very principles of nature itself. The differentiation of ether into electricity and magnetism is merely a case of sexual differentiation. And I'm going to pause there, folks. Uh, sex is, or gender per se, however you want to refer to this, is an important natural attribute. Okay, It's attributional to all of nature. It's inherent in everything. We're not just talking about, uh, you know... Uh, man per se or or talking about say the animal kingdom it's inherent in everything it's part of the natural order and uh, they really like to confuse and try to mess up this whole principle and the way people think about it uh, and there's a reason for that because this this steers us towards more unnatural type things uh, towards more artificial things rather than natural order and that's kind of where they lead us. We talk about this all the time. It's the inversion principle. It's, it's how they maintain control, how they can garner control. These few twisted people at the top of the power structure who understand uh, many of these older alchemical sciences and stuff, they weaponize them against us. So uh, that being the case, you know, uh, that's why they, they try to twist these things and invert them. Because only through total inversion can they create a new control system that they could totally control because they can't control nature. But they could do their very best to try to invert what the natural order looks like and, and make their own kind of system of control out of it. Uh, so that's the case here. But uh, let's go ahead and read on. As the male is merely the embodiment of the electrical force, so the female is the embodiment of the magnetic force. The feminine spirit, soul, mind, emotion principle, life, and body are merely manifestations of the magnetic principle. Femininity is not limited to the form, however, but the seven principles of nature are also magnetic and, therefore, feminine as well as electric, and therefore masculine. Nature herself is feminine, magnetic, as well as masculine, electric. Male and female, therefore, are merely electricity and magnetism, and the only difference between the male and female is a difference in the rate of vibration. Going to pause there, folks. Do you, are you beginning to hear a theme uh, through all of this so far that we've seen? These are all merely a difference in rates of vibration. All these different descriptors, okay? All of these ten different opposites, these ten pairs of opposites that Pythagoras describes here. Um... Anyway, let's, let's continue on. Man is therefore the product of the electric vibration, while woman is the product of the magnetic vibration. All beings are bisexual. In the male, the electrical very much predominates. In the female, the magnetic greatly predominates. The sex is determined by the predominating principle. The weaker principle is usually latent, but in the case of the strong-minded woman and the effeminate man, the two principles are much more nearly balanced. Not only is this true, but the personality is in a continuous state of flux, the state of the mind, emotions, soul, and spirit becoming, for the moment, relatively more electrical or magnetic, has the effect of making the principle correspondingly male or female, as the case may be. The higher principles react upon the physical body, making it in turn more masculine or feminine as the electrical or magnetic principle predominates. In this way, the relative balancing of the sexes is continually changing in accordance with the state of the person's life and thought, etc. In this way, we can begin to perceive how the superstition of the changing of men into women and women into men originated. Sexual differentiation is, therefore, a matter of differentiation in the rate of vibration. And I'm going to pause there, folks. This is putting forth an important idea. It says, in this way, the relative balancing of the sexes is continually changing in accordance with the state of the person's life and thought. So, that being the case, um, you know, people uh, express different uh, masculine or feminine principles at different points in their life, okay? Or depending upon different circumstances in their life. So uh, with that being the case, sometimes we uh, would represent or, or, you know, 
ourselves in a more feminine aspect or a more masculine aspect, depending on things. And this is normal and goes on according to natural order. Okay, but it's when uh, certain people in positions of authority and power try to uh, obfuscate uh, this this uh, balancing act between the two sexes. Um, you know, the, the sex principle within everybody, uh, where we get kind of a one-sided looking thing, uh, where one of these principles overpowers the other in certain aspects, and it, it, it causes this confusion, okay, and causes this unnatural order in uh, this this kind of a, a way. Uh, it's the inversion principle at work again. See, that's why they, they try to invert by by manipulating this this natural principle here they manipulate it and push it to the extreme and therefore are trying to steer people into a confusing type of a situation with uh, these principles next section good and evil god and good in the anglo-saxon are synonymous terms god is the good one good is the quality of godlikeness that is good which brings into closer relation to God. Evil is the reverse. It is that which separates us from God. Because of this original meaning, evil came to mean that which separates and good that which holds together. Good is the principle of union, cohesion, accretion, while evil is the principle of separation, disintegration, disillusion, individuality. Everything which tends to unite and combine diverse elements is good. Everything which tends to separate, repel, and dissolve all combinations, leaving each element independent, is evil. Good is the constructive principle, and evil the destructive principle of nature. So I'm going to pause there. So you see, um, with this being the case, um, good is the constructive principle, evil is the destructive principle. They both need to exist, okay, and there has to exist a balance between the two in order to keep the natural order and the natural world turning, okay? So when we look at it from this way, um, uh, good would be the attractive principle and evil would be the repulsive uh, principle, the repulsion principle, uh, if you're looking at it in terms of, like, magnetism or electricity, that kind of thing. Uh, so that being the case... Uh, let's continue on with the reading here. That which unites, constructs, and combines the diverse elements is the principle of attraction. All elements attract like elements of opposite polarity. The law of attraction is therefore the application of the principle of chemical affinity to the molecules, atoms, etc. It is by reason of the affinity existing between the various atoms and molecules that they mutually attract each other and are bound together and united by adhesion and cohesion, thus forming a structure. Affinity is the outgrowth of the interaction of the electrical and magnetic forces. Whenever electric and magnetic forces are acting in conjunction, uh, they result in the state of affinity, which produces attraction and therefore leads to accretion, union, etc., forming a structure held together by means of its keynote. The harmony of electric and magnetic vibration is, therefore, the essence of good. And I'm going to pause there, folks. So the harmony of electric and magnetic vibration forms what's called the keynote. And this is the essence of good or goodness. Okay, keep that in mind. Uh, this is the attractive principle. This is uh, Harmony. This is how things are held together. So you see how we need these two polarities. And I, I've tried uh, to uh, steer away from using the term duality because it's not really truly duality that we exist in. It's more polarity. Uh, we need both sides of this, uh, um, you know, of these polar opposites in order for uh, things to manifest here. Okay. This is how everything's created. This is your, your male and female attribute, uh, the electric, the magnetic. This is how all things come to be. This is the, you know, the very science of manifestation when it comes down to it. All these things exist and have to have their polar opposites in order to exist. Let's continue with the reading here. It must not be assumed that this applies to the physical plane alone, for on the contrary, all the planes of nature manifest this same principle. 
Good on the plane of emotion, the mental plane, the spiritual plane, or the plane of the soul, is precisely the same in its ultimate essence as physical good. The point to be fixed in mind is that good of every description and on every plane is merely the harmonious polarizing of the two opposing forces for the production of affinity, leading to the attraction of the diverse elements into union of the same, thus forming a structure on whatever plane of nature it may belong. Evil is the principle of repulsion operating among the component atoms and molecules of a structure unto the destruction of the keynote, and thus unto the disintegration of the structure and the dissolution of the union existing between the diverse elements composing the same. This is an important idea. Once again, we're looking at the idea of the keynote, and, and this is an important concept for us to really explore the keynote. This is what holds it all together, okay? Everything has its own keynote, and this would be the harmonious combination of these different uh, polarities uh, within a different, say, object or person or whatever the case may be. Everything that, that has manifestation in the physical and on these other planes of existence, it even says here, uh, has this keynote principle that holds it all together. Uh, this is the essence of being, per se. Um, so, that being the case, and, and in my view, I think this, this keynote idea, um, the alchemical idea, has been perverted by our modern science, and they called it the God particle. And that's kind of what they're looking for. They're trying to give it this hyper-materialist uh, kind of manifestation um, and, and try to utilize it in that way. Uh, and it, it's not. It's, that's an inversion of the alchemical way that's represented here, of what this keynote is. It's a total misdescription of that thing and an inversion of what it really truly means and is. And you'll notice that uh, what they do to find this quote-unquote God particle uh, is the destructive principle, whereas the keynote is a constructive principle. So you can see the inversion at work there. Repulsion is due to the absence of affinity is due to the fact that the electrical and magnetic forces are acting in opposition one to another. One neutralizes the other so that no polarity is possible between the diverse elements. Union is therefore impossible. Repulsion resulting in disintegration and dissolution of the entire structure is the result. Thus, the essence of evil is merely the antagonistic activity of the electric and magnetic forces as good is their harmonious activity. Good is the result of polarity. Evil is the absence of polarity. Neither must we suppose this principle of evil to be confined to the physical plane, for on all the planes of nature do we find the manifestations of the principle of antagonism. It is continually tearing down, disintegrating, dissolving, and destroying. Everywhere we go, we see the continuous warfare between the constructive work or good and the destructive work or evil. The first is ever uniting, the second ever separating. The one ever works for cohesion, the other for disintegration. It is solely a question of polarity or antipolarity of electromagnetic energy through harmonious or inharmonious vibration. What we're talking about here is, you know, this electrical and magnetic uh, polarity principle, okay? Uh, the, the, the balance between these two is where life exists. Uh, if you want to look at it from, you know, a more attributional viewpoint, uh, you could see how these things, the, the electric, the magnetic, how it could be equated to a masculine principle, a feminine principle, fire, water, all these different ideas, these archetypes all put together. This is where manifestation occurs, is at this meeting point. Okay, between the the electrical and the magnetic, and uh, it forms from out of ether, and, and that's your your third principle here, and this relates back to a trinity type principle. You have the electric, the magnetic, and then the ether from which it comes, or the the darkness uh, from which the light comes. So you could see all of these different principles at work, and they they all work relative to one another. So uh, it's it's this balance point. Uh, where it becomes important. Next section says, stationary and movable. 
whenever the molecules constituting a body are revolving round their center of gravity with such a force that they cannot be drawn from their course by any force which may be brought against them, they may be said to be stationary. Not that they do not move, but that they cannot be moved. Their relation cannot be changed by any external force, which may be brought to bear upon them. They maintain their regular laws, notwithstanding all outside opposition. This is merely a case of close affinity. The close affinity is due to an intensity of vibration which overpowers all opposing vibration. When the molecules constituting a body are revolving and vibrating around their center of gravity with laxity as to permit an opposing force to drive them out of their course, they may be said to be movable. Their relation may be changed by force from the outside. They are deflected from their regular course with comp comparative ease. This is merely a case of loose affinity. The loose affinity depends upon a weak state of vibration and may be altered by an opposing vibration. Also, in another sense, the planetary bodies are movable in the sense that they have a center of gravity outside of themselves, and by reason of the polarity <coughs> existing between them and this center of gravity, they are moved in accordance with that polarity and the affinity. All bodies containing their center of gravity within themselves are stationary. All bodies having a center of gravity outside and independent of themselves are movable. The first is, therefore, complete in itself having both the electric and the magnetic forces equally active and in a state of balance. The second is incomplete having one pole so weak that it must find the opposite pole outside of itself and polarize with it in order to attain completion. The only difference between the stationary and the movable is, therefore, a difference in the electromagnetic polarity growing out of a difference in vibration. This distinction is not confined to the physical plane alone, but applies to the higher planes of nature as well. The desire elementals, thought forms, buddhic forms, and spirit forms are both stationary and movable, and the law, as above outlined, applies to them quite as much as to the physical object. And I'm going to pause there, folks. We could see, once again, he's equating these different ideas back to difference in vibration. See, uh, once again, when you think in terms of uh, vibration and frequency and uh, in terms of electric and magnetic, uh, things begin to start to line up and make a little more sense uh, when you understand that it's this polarity principle upon which all manifestation takes place uh, you, you could see, uh, you know, how things work a little better, how an imbalance causes a problem. It ties back to the idea of homeostasis again, uh, which there's some truth to the concept of homeostasis. Everything tries to seek to find its balance. And it's the same thing with, like, uh, say, uh, the concept of entropy, okay, uh, where all things tend towards chaos. I don't know if all things tend towards chaos, but they uh, try to... Uh, go back to a balanced state. Next section, square and oblong. The square is the symbol of perfection. The four sides and the four corners represent the fourfold manifestations of ether, to wit, positive electricity, or oxygen, the element of fire, negative electricity, or hydrogen, the element of water, positive magnetism, or carbon, the element of earth, and negative magnetism, or nitrogen, the element of air. The square, therefore, represents the perfect balance of the positive and negative electric and magnetic forces. It is, therefore, the perfect blending and polarization of the fourfold natural force. Out of this resting place of the fourfold energy proceed all things. The square is, therefore, the complete equilibrium of both the forces and both the poles of the same. And I'm going to pause right there. And uh, we've gone on an awful lot on some of the other shows that we've done about this idea of the number four being a foundational one. And uh, actually the number four uh, in a lot of older uh, philosophical traditions and stuff is also equated with the concept of time. Okay, so time itself, uh, you know, could be represented by the number four. Uh, and it's it's a type of a, a construct per se. It's a foundational construct upon which our physical reality here is built. The oblong is a square with something added to extend it in one direction. It is therefore not a square. 
i.e. both the forces are not equally active in both of their poles. But one force, or else one pole, of each force is stronger than the other. The result being that the activity becomes one-sided, giving special activity to the predominating force or pole. It is this special activity of one principle which is represented by the oblong in contradistinction with the perfect equilibrium of both principles represented by the square. This activity is not confined to physical electricity and magnetism, but extends to all the other principles of nature as well as the physical. Every activity of thought, emotion, and intuition, as well as every activity of the spirit, is a manifestation of one of these states of electromagnetic activity, either the perfect square or the oblong. And I'm going to pause there, folks. Once again, we could see where it's, you know, a matter of balance or imbalance when it comes down to it. So an imbalance uh, causes a problem. It causes a disparity that needs a resolution. And uh, the resolution, see, nature will always bring it back to resolution or to balance. Um, so this is a, a key point. And once again, if we look at uh, the square or the number four as being representative of time, so that's the, you know, the old adage, uh, time heals all wounds. Uh, same kind of a concept, okay? Uh, so you're talking about uh, nature will always correct an imbalance. And, you know, that that could be bound up in this whole idea or principle there. Wet and dry. Substances become wet because of the presence of moisture in them. They are dried out by the action of heat. Heat is caused by raising of the molecular vibration. Therefore, when we, we raise the rate of vibration of the molecules until it reaches a certain point of intensity, moisture disappears. The substance becomes dry. The higher the rate of vibration, the drier the substance becomes until it reaches the melting point. Dryness is also a characteristic of electricity, while moisture is a characteristic of magnetism. Therefore, a substance becomes dry in proportion as it passes from magnetic to the electric stage. When it has reached the electric vibration, the higher it becomes, the more of the magnetic is eliminated, and thus the drier it becomes. On the other hand, as the magnetic vibration predominates, the substance becomes moist, and the more extremely magnetic it becomes, the more moist it becomes. Anything is therefore moist in proportion as it is magnetic, and dry in proportion as it is electric. Not only is this the case on the physical plane, but also on all the other planes of nature. Vital electricity is dry, and vital magnetism is wet. Mental electricity is dry, and mental magnetism wet. Psychical or buddhic electricity is dry, and psychic or buddhic magnetism is wet. Spiritual magnetism is wet, and spiritual electricity is dry. Again, the two poles of both electricity and magnetism are diverse. Positive electricity is much drier than the negative, and negative magnetism is not so wet as the positive. It may be readily seen from the foregoing that the quality of dryness is merely the electrical quality in anything, and the quality of moisture is merely the magnetic quality. The only difference, therefore, between the wetness and dryness is a difference in electromagnetic polarity. From the foregoing remarks on the pairs of opposites, it may be seen that we have a means of reaching the conception of things in themselves. We may comprehend the abstract and not merely the concrete, the noumenon and not merely the phenomena. We may comprehend right and left in the abstract without relating them to anything, may conceive of them in terms of the absolute. Likewise, evenness and oddness may be conceived in the abstract without thinking of any concrete thing to be either even or odd. In the same way we can conceive of the abstract principles of heat and cold, without thinking of any concrete object to be either hot or cold. Also, we may conceive of the abstract principle of hardness and softness without thinking of anything being either hard or soft. Abstract light and abstract darkness may be in the same way conceived separate and apart from all consciousness of any material object to be affected by the light or the darkness. Likewise, also, we may May we conceive of the abstract principle of masculinity and femininity separate and apart from any concrete thing to be either male or female. Also, the abstract principle of good and evil may be comprehended separate and apart from anything to be either good or evil.
Likewise, the conception of abstract mobility and immobility separate and apart from anything to be moved or to remain stationary becomes possible. Also, we may conceive of the abstract quality of squareness or oblongness as things in themselves separate and apart from any concrete object to be either square or oblong. And we may also conceive of the abstract principles of wetness and dryness as things in themselves separate and apart from any concrete object to be either wet or dry. And I'm going to pause right there. So basically what the author is really trying to the point he's really trying to drive home here is we need to think of these things in an archetypal way, okay? Not think of them as like um, physical concrete objects, okay? And we have to think of this stuff in more of a philosophical type way, philosophical type term, an abstract thought form, okay? You have to think of these things in an abstract way. Um, not take it like literal, like what he's saying here, okay? Uh, that, that's the whole point he's trying to, to drive home here, is we have to think of these things in an archetypal type way. These are archetypes, okay? These, these pairs of opposites are archetypes. And we could read that in a lot of different things. And we could know different attributional things about something based upon these. Uh, because as we listed off a lot of these things here, uh, you could know certain principles about a thing based upon it's just knowing uh, these ten pairs of opposites. Let the student try to realize that these opposite qualities are all things in themselves, are all abstract principles, and not dependent upon any concrete object for their existence, but are self-existent so far as the concrete world is concerned, and that the concrete objects which show forth these qualities are merely the vehicles through which these abstract principles are being manifested to our outward senses but that the abstract principles are in no way to depend upon such concrete objects for their activity. Let him further conceive of them as merely the activities of the electrical and magnetic principles of nature acting on her various planes. When he understands this, let him conceive electricity and magnetism themselves as merely the twofold manifestation of the one principle pertaining to that particular plane of nature. Lastly, let him conceive of this manifestation as merely the effect of the two states of the vibratory action of the one principle. When all this is perfectly plain to him, so that he understands that all things are merely matters of magnetoelectric activity, and that electromagnetism is merely the twofold activity of the one principle, and lastly, that the twofold manifestation is the result of a different rate of vibration, hence the whole thing is merely a matter of vibration, and that this law not only applies to the physical world, but to everything else on whatever plane. When all this is clearly seen and comprehended by the student, he has solved the law of opposites. And that's the end of lesson two, folks. And let's just... Uh, Go ahead and uh, review that last part here, okay? So uh, you could see when you understand uh, these concepts, what it is, is this is kind of a framework that all manifestation is built upon. Uh, this is kind of a, a scaffolding upon which our reality is built. Are these, pair, these polarities, these pairs of opposites, okay? Uh, so this is the, the, the principle. And it, when you think about it in its simplest terms, if you think of everything as being a vibration or a frequency and being electrical or magnetic as, you know, in its manifestation here, uh, you could better understand the, the workings of how these things operate and how the world truly operates. It, it doesn't always line up with what our mainstream science tells us. So... That being the case, it's it's important to review many of these older philosophical ideas and these alchemical principles, okay? Uh, these different hermetic philosophies and things of that nature, because uh, in so doing, we could see a great many things that we would never recognize before just by understanding some of these key concepts here. And this is something that uh, many of the greatest minds of the past had a firm grip on. So uh, they, they had a much better understanding of the world. With that being said, we're kind of misled by our modern hyper-materialist scientific viewpoint uh, that we've been given as a society. So, you know, that being the case, I think it's important that we stay grounded in some of these concepts and we could have a, a little better chance of uh, understanding the reality in which we live. 
that's the end of lesson two here. This book is fantastic. If anybody wants to pick it up, it's a great primer on many of these different uh, alchemical concepts and these philosophical principles that could give you a better understanding of the world around you. So uh, that being the case, you know, that's, that's the end of uh, our, our little foray into occult science here tonight, folks. So uh, thanks for tuning in. I appreciate all of you. We'll, we'll catch you next time. Introducing the new home for free speech, Free World FM, the alternative to the alternative. Keep on talking in the free world. That's freeworld.fm, coming soon.